The giving and receiving of gifts can be a tricky business. Let me tell you a story to illustrate that. I will preface this story by saying it's also a lesson, a lesson of what never to do. Okay, never do this. I learned the hard way. I'm hoping that this might save somebody from repeating my mistakes. Just horrendous mistake. When my wife Deb turned 30, I decided to throw her a surprise party. I'm not a great event planner by any means, but I was pretty pleased with myself. I booked a space. I sent invitations to about 30 guests. I, I even had a cover. I asked another couple that we were friends with to join us for dinner at a restaurant and then during dinner to invite us back to their apartment, the same apartment where I had booked the party room. So the plan was we would enter the apartment building. These guys would come up with an excuse why we had to pass by the party room. We would enter and all the guests would jump out and say, surprise. Sounds good, right? I thought so, and that's where I should have stopped, but I didn't. See, I wanted to play a trick on Deb, and so I emailed all the guests, and I asked them to wrap up the most ridiculous item they could find in their house. And then when Deb opened the item, I asked them if they would like keep a straight face and play like it was a serious gift, like it was heartfelt because I thought it would be hilarious to watch her come up with like really polite and, and like grateful responses to these ridiculous gifts. And it was hilarious at first. And then this practical gift giving joke would take a terrible turn. Okay, like I said, it started well. She opened the first gift, this like crazy colored woman's blouse from like the 60s that somebody found in their parents' closet. The person who gave it to her, she played it up perfectly. She was like, you know, I saw this. I just thought it was so unique. I immediately thought of, of you, Deb, and Deb is like really polite. Wow, it is unique. Like, I, in fact, I don't think I've ever seen a shirt quite like it. And it got better. The second gift that she opened was an actual animal skull. Somebody had wrapped an animal skull in pretty birthday wrapping paper. And when Deb opened it, they were like, Deb, I know how outdoorsy you are. I know that you have like a degree in outdoor rec. So when I found this skull on a hike, I, I, I knew that you would appreciate it. And like, she didn't disappoint with her polite reaction, despite the grisly gift. She was like, wow, it's so well preserved. Like, I wonder what animal it came from. I'll have to do some research on this. And on and on this thing went. It was going great. Strange gift after strange gift, awkward moment after awkward moment, a childlike crayon drawing that somebody had done. And the gift giver pretended it was like the Mona Lisa. Like I spent three hours on the eyebrows. A massive like 70s glass ashtray given to a non-smoker. And each time Deb would respond with some kind of polite reaction. She was just being a, such, such a trooper. And every time she opened the gift, people would kind of make fun of the gift. They'd make it like a joke about how bad the gift was, which made Deb feel even like worse for the person who gave it. This was going great. The room was full of, of laughter until, 
See, at this point in the evening, Deb kind of got the joke. You can only open up so many ridiculous, you know, gifts when you realize, okay, all right, I, I see what's going on here. I, I can hardly tell this part of the story. <laughs> Deb picked up another gift bag out of the pile given by a friend, but apparently this friend didn't read or understand my email that it was supposed to be a joke gift. She had brought a serious gift. She had just started making, crafting these little signy things, and she spent what must have been some significant time making one to bless Deb on her birthday. It was nice. But as a beginner, she was just like learning how to make these things. And when Deb opened it, like Deb knew that this was actually a serious gift. I knew it was a serious gift. Certainly the person who made it, the girl who made it, knew it was a serious gift. But none of the other people gathered in the room knew it was a serious gift. And so just like when the other gifts were opened, the crowd began to make all these disparaging comments and poke fun about the gift, thinking it was a part of the ruse. And I knew at that moment that my idea was a very bad idea. If looks could kill, the look Deb gave me, man, like she did her best to try and express genuine gratitude to this friend that had made the gift, but it was kind of too late at that point, if you know what I mean. And if you only get one takeaway from today's message, let, be, let this be it. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. Just a terrible idea on my part. I've tried to bury that memory somewhere deep inside but every so often, Deb or somebody who was at the party will say, Jay, remember that time you told everybody to bring a joke gift, but that one person brought a serious gift? Dude, that was cold. Now, I share that embarrassing and horrific memory with you to illustrate that gift giving can, awesome, uh, can, can often be a sometimes awkward experience if done poorly. I'm sure we've all opened a birthday gift or maybe a Christmas gift or some other gift and, and thought, Hmm, interesting. But conversely, gift giving and receiving can be a really life-giving and beautiful and powerful experience when done well. And when it comes to the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us, what has the potential to be a beautiful, life-giving and powerful experience sometimes becomes awkward and confusing. Okay, and that's not a new problem. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is writing to a group of Jesus followers about spiritual gifts. And he starts his teaching by saying, now about the gifts of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed because apparently they were uninformed. Apparently in this church that Paul was writing to, there was confusion about spiritual gifts and it was causing all kinds of, of problems and even division. People were like comparing and, and ranking and, and misusing the gifts that God had given them. And we've seen that happen throughout history, right? Around this topic of spiritual gifts. Within churches and followers of Jesus throughout history, there have been a lot of questions about the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us. Questions like, does everybody get one? Do we only get one? What are they for? Are some gifts like better than others? Are they still for today? 
all good and important questions, some of which we will cover today. You know, there's a lot of teaching about spiritual gifts in the Bible, such as 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, among other places. Encourage you to dig in and read about them. And there's also plenty of opinion and diversity among churches with, with what the Bible actually teaches about spiritual gifts. But for our purposes today, I want to sit in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11, because I think it gives a really good basis or an overview to help clear up some of the confusion and awkwardness and mystery sometimes associated with this idea of spiritual gifts. If you have your Bible or your device, you can turn there, 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. Firstly, the who of spiritual gifts. Well, Peter assumes that every Christian is gifted. Every Christian is gifted. Look at verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received. Let's stop and just feel the weight of that for a second. Peter doesn't say those who have a gift should use it. What he does say is each of you has at least one gift given to you directly by God through the Holy Spirit that you should use. His assumption is that every Christian has been gifted in some way. And he assumes that for a really good reason, because every person who has authentically made Jesus the Lord of their life has the Holy Spirit inside of them. Each. Okay, the literal definition of that word each is every, all, one and all. Okay, listen to that word each repeat itself. And these are all writings concerning spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 3, each of you. 1 Corinthians 7, 7, each of you. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, each one. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, each one. Ephesians 4, 7, each one. The Bible is completely unified in its message that if you've given your life to Christ, you've received the Holy Spirit. And you are an each. You've been gifted. You can go ahead and say that if you want. Say, I'm an each. And and if you're an each, you have a spiritual gift. A friend of mine describes it this way. He says, when we surrender to Jesus as the leader of our lives, we receive the Holy Spirit. And when he moves in as a housewarming gift, he brings us spiritual gifts. I like that. The word here in 1 Peter is indefinite, meaning at least one gift. But he's not saying we only have one gift, but what what he is saying is we have at least one. You know, often God will give us more than one spiritual gift. Paul urged urged the church in Corinth to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, plural. In 1 Corinthians 12, 31, and in chapter 14, he says, hey, if you have the gift of speaking in tongues, also pray for the gift to interpret. That's two gifts showing that we shouldn't place limitations on God regarding how many gifts he gives us. But my point is that you are, if you are a spirit-renewed believer in Jesus Christ, you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit with something called a gift. You might not feel like it. You might not know what your gifts are. 
You might even doubt it, but it's true all the same. You are in each. In 1 Peter 2, the same author writes this. He says, we are a royal priesthood, meaning that in Christ, every believer is a priest. Every believer is a priest before God who is gifted to lift up sacrifices of the worship of their lives to him. You know, it's also important to differentiate between spiritual gifts and natural talents. Everyone has, has talents of some kind, athletes, musicians, authors, tradesmen, thinkers, etc. People have God-given abilities, talents, whether they're followers of Jesus or not. But spiritual gifts, are, they're different. And they have a definitive purpose, which we are going to talk about today. Now, the Bible gives like an overview of some of these gifts and, and what they might look like. Administration, being an apostle, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, healing, helps, hospitality, knowledge, leadership, mercy, prophecy, serving, speaking in tongues, discerning of tongues, teaching, shepherding, wisdom. You know, it's important to remember that the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us, they can change, they can develop over time. Sometimes a certain gift is more active in our lives, like for a particular season or reason. And so we accept our gifts with open, but with with loose hands. Gifts given by a generous gift-giving father to his adopted children when they come to him in faith through Jesus Christ. Who's got a spiritual gift? you've got a spiritual gift if Jesus is the leader of your life. Next question, how? The how of of spiritual gifts. Peter answers the question, how to use your spiritual gift in the second half of that sentence in verse 10. Each Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Okay, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. There's a lot to tear apart in that sentence. First of all, these gifts are gifts of grace. Okay, the word gift comes from the the Greek word charisma. And the word grace comes from the word charis. Don't miss this because it's important. The word gift is actually derived from the word grace. That has implications. It means that the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us come from God's grace extended to us. We don't deserve them. God doesn't owe them to us. We certainly should never demand them, but they are gifts of grace given by an incredibly generous God who loves us deeply. They aren't wages for a job well done. The gifts are an expression of the heart of God for us the God who gives freely. Remember Jesus' teaching from Matthew 7, 11? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See, God delights in giving his children gifts. He does. Hey, have you ever brought, bought a gift out of obligation for someone? I think we all have at some point. Maybe it was like a gift exchange at work and you had to pick a name out of a hat and you're like, oh man, them? I don't even really like them. 
but I guess I have to go and get them something. That's how it works. God doesn't give us spiritual gifts like that. They are gifts of grace given freely because he does like us a lot. And there's a second part to this. Because the gift was given in grace, it's meant to be used in the same way, in grace. Okay, a few weeks back, I was at the Tim Hortons drive-through, and when I went up to the window to pay, the cashier at the window told me that the person who had been in front of me had paid for my order. Very cool, very generous, but I knew how this thing worked. Pay it forward, right? Like if somebody did something kind and gracious to me, I had to pay it forward to somebody else. And so I told the cashier, I want to pay for the person's order behind me and just hope that it wasn't like a family of 12 ordering lunch. (laughs) Just kidding. And when it comes to spiritual gifts, we are supposed to pay them forward in the same way they were given to us, generously and graciously. Not because somebody deserves the gift that we have, because we didn't deserve getting the gift in the first place. Not in a heavy-handed or prideful way, but in kindness and with grace. You know, Peter writes here, he says, be a faithful steward of God's grace. Okay, a steward is a manager or an administrator who's given the responsibility over a household or an estate. A steward keeps track of the day-to-day running of the household. He's in charge of how things run. A steward keeps track of expenses and receipts, the successful operations of the house. For you Downton Abbey fans, think of like the butler, Carson. Well, that's the picture that Peter paints when it comes to spiritual gifts. God has a house. The living, breathing, spiritual house called the church, his people. And in that house, we are stewards in charge of using our gifts as an extension of how they're giving to us, given to us in grace. Be graceful using the gifts that you've given because that's how I gave them to you. But what are these gifts for? What are these gifts for? It's important to know what a gift is for, its purpose. You know, we are surrounded by things every day that were created with purpose and we don't always understand what their purpose was. Did you know that the red margins on writing paper originally, why they originally came into being and were invented, it's not so teachers could dock marks from students who wrote outside of the margins. Back in the olden days when rodents were more of a problem than they are today, mice and rats used to chew at paper notebooks to take the material away to make nests, oftentimes ruining the notes that were written right to the edge of the page. So someone ingeniously introduced the idea of margins to create space on the edges of the paper. Who knew? Those big pom-poms that sit on the back of your winter toque, they're not actually a fashion statement. I had no idea. They were actually added to hats originally because French sailors kept bonking their heads on the overhead beams in the cold, tight sleeping quarters on the ships when they sat up out of bed. Have you ever tried to get one Tic Tac out of the container? It's almost impossible. You know what I'm talking about. Check under that little flippy lid that you lift. There's a little groove in that lid created to dispense one tic-tac at a time when you turn the container upside down. But whoever has one tic-tac at a time? 
The point is, things are created with purpose, but we don't always use them for the intended purpose that they were created for. And spiritual gifts have a very clear purpose. There's a reason they exist in verse 10. Firstly, each of you should use whatever gift you have to serve others. And there's two things I want to draw out of that sentence. Firstly, you should use whatever gift you have. There's a reason that you've been given a gift that God has put inside of you through the Holy Spirit to be used. The gift is pointless if it's not being used for its intended purpose. It's like somebody giving you a Ferrari that you refuse to drive. Okay, that thing was created to be driven, not sit in a garage. Okay, imagine if you give, gave a gift to somebody and they didn't use it. Imagine if I bought my friend a really expensive uh, set of golf clubs and then I checked in three years later and I said, how are you enjoying the clubs? They're like, I don't know. They're still in the box in my basement. I'd be like, come on. Those things were meant to crush golf balls and spiritual gifts are meant to be used. Spiritual gifts are supernatural empowerments given by the Holy Spirit to the followers of Christ so that they can do the work of building up the body of Christ, that is the church, and extend the kingdom of God throughout the world. God wants us to use them. You have a gift. Are you using it? If you aren't, the gift that God has given you out of his grace, it's not fulfilling its purpose. You know, in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26, Paul likens us together, the church, using the metaphor of a human body. We are one body made up of many parts, each part working together, doing its part so the body fulfills its ultimate purpose, a healthy life, right? If one part is not contributing, if the eye chooses not to see, if the ear chooses not to hear, if the foot chooses not to walk, the whole body suffers, he writes. They must work together. No part more important than the other. Okay. God has placed within your body different, different body parts that have a specific gift, and they, they must be used for the success of the whole body. And he writes this all in the context of spiritual gifts. There's no hierarchy of one gift being more important than the other. They're all equally important, but they must be used. If a teacher doesn't teach, if an evangelist doesn't evangelize, if an administrator doesn't administrate, if a prophet doesn't prophesy, if a helper doesn't help, if a giver doesn't give, if a leader doesn't lead, if an exhorter doesn't encourage anyone, if a hospitable person doesn't welcome people and make them feel at home, well, then you're not using the gift that you've been giving to be used. And the body suffers deeply. You've been given a gift, at least one. We've established that. Are you using it? If you aren't like sure what your gift is, there's some great resources available to help you discover what yours might be. We're actually including, it's, it's on the screen now, a spiritual gifts assessment questionnaire. There are several of these online. And that might help you in narrowing down what your unique spiritual gift might be. Or you can ask someone. Like ask somebody who's a follower of Jesus what gift they, they see in you. Another great way to determine what your gift is to think about the ways God has used you in the past or maybe the things that just kind of come naturally to you. 
If you know that you could not administrate the organization of a one-float parade, you're probably not an administrator. If the thought of hosting somebody or caring for people makes your stomach get queasy, you might not have the gift of hospitality. Right? If you can't communicate clearly in teaching someone how to make a paper airplane, maybe teaching isn't your gift. You get the point. The important thing is that you do have one and that you do use it. Because there's a lot at stake. Because God has an incredible dream for his church, for our church. And because that dream was designed with you in mind, using the gift that God has given you. It's why we have it. To use and to serve others. We need to hear this. This isn't optional, okay, depending on what your gift is. If it's there, there's a reason you have it, to serve others. Yes, we get fulfillment and enjoyment out of using our gifts. Yes, we get a deep sense of satisfaction when we're operating in the sweet spot of how God has created us. Yes, sometimes we even sense God's pleasure when we use our gifts. But no, ultimately, it's not about us. This is about others. You know, in the Corinthian church, they had a real problem here. They took a specific gift, the gift of tongues, and they used it for self-edification, for self-glorification. And Paul very specifically addresses this abuse in chapter 14. You know, I love, as he's about to write the manifesto of spiritual gifts, like he's going to get into the nitty-gritty on this thing, his first words in verse 1 are, follow the way of love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. He directly connects spiritual gifts with loving people. In verse 12, he writes, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Those are the most important ones, not the ones that build up ourselves. I love the way the message version paraphrases it. It says, since you're so eager to participate in what God is doing, why don't you concentrate on doing what helps everyone in the church? And throughout that chapter, over and over, as Paul goes through the gifts, we can't escape that the purpose of them is about encouraging, edifying, lifting up others. You know, listen, following Jesus, building his church in a world that is so contrary, so opposite, and sometimes even hostile to the ways of God, that's not easy. Yeah, this isn't an easy task, an easy mission God has given us. And then throw in the spiritual battles that we face against an invisible enemy whose hatred for God's people couldn't be clear. And we can begin to understand why Jesus said, in this world, you have troubles. And so we need to serve one another with our gifts. We need each other. I need the gift inside of you. I need it to build me up. My gift is incomplete without your gift. But together, me using mine for you, you using yours for me, the mission of God moves forward on the earth. And then Peter concludes this section with gifts with the, with the absolute best reason you should use your gift in the second half of verse 11. Listen to this. 
So, okay, whenever you read that word, so, it's answering what came before it. Speaking about using our gifts, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The ultimate aim of our gifts is is the glory of God. When we use our spiritual gifts for their intended purpose, we display the beauty and the majesty of God to the world. When we do it with grace, when we do it to serve other people. You know, Jesus said this in John 15, 8, my father is glorified and honored by this. When you bear much fruit, when you use your gifts, God gets the glory and God doesn't expect you to be talented or gifted at everything. None of us are. He just wants you to use the gift he's given you. You know, it was called the greatest sports team ever assembled. The 1992 U.S. men's Olympic basketball team. It was the first one to ever be made up, first Olympic team ever to be made up with professional NBA players. They called it the the dream team. It consisted of players like Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Carl Malone, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Patrick Ewing, David Robinson, Charles Barkley, among others that could keep going, a virtual who's who of the Basketball Hall of Fame. That's who made up this team. And over the course of those Olympic Games, the United States advanced to the gold medal game by beating each opponent by the average of 44 points a game. It was something to behold. If you watch that and remember that, you know what I'm talking about, like sheer artistry. All these gifted athletes, each one unique in their giftings, bringing their skill set to the table for one common goal, gold medal. And here's what happened. The scorers scored, the passers passed, the defenders defended, the coaches coached. They were unstoppable. God himself has created a dream team, his church. And we are a diverse group from all different backgrounds with individual stories, misfits, broken players, injured players, certainly all sinners, brought together through the blood of Christ, gifted by the Holy Spirit for one common goal, to to glorify God and represent him to a world that's going to lose the game without us. The stakes are so much higher than the color of a medal. Apart, we can't do much. But together, with each one, bring their supernatural gift to the table, serving each other in humility, with joy. We too are unstoppable. And so Here's what I want us to do this week. Pray, ask, act. Pray, ask, act. Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what gift he's given you. If you're not sure, you know, start finding out. 
ask a close friend, maybe take the spiritual gift survey and pray about this. And then ask. Ask yourself if you've been using the gift God has deposited in you, if you're stewarding it well. And if not, ask God to show you the places where your gift might be needed. And then act. Like take a step to either begin engaging or re-engaging using the gift that the Holy Spirit has deposited inside of you. We are in a unique time in human history with everything going on in the world. Like as the universal church, but also as the local expression of the church here at Compass in our region. And I am more convinced than ever that we need to abandon notions of professional Christians, a select few doing the work of the ministry. And we need to embrace our calling, all of us as priests, a holy community, chosen, gifted, and released. Working together for the glory of our God. his dream team. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the generosity that you show us in gifting every person who is listening right now who has come to faith in you through Jesus Christ with a supernatural gift. God, show us how to steward what you've gifted us with, with wisdom and courage and humility that we would sense your pleasure edify one another, and glorify the name of Jesus in this world. And it's in his beautiful name we pray, amen.